you're in business because you have an idea, a spark, a passion, and it's your gift. It's the one that you have and you're bringing it to the world. I know it isn't easy and it requires commitment. You have to learn both the mechanics and leave room for the magic every day in your business. And I'm here for you to help you make a profit. I'm Don Kennedy, your host of the Profit Accelerator Podcast. I'm an attorney, author, mentor, and CEO of a growing coffee company. I'm in this with you every single day. Thanks for joining me on the show that looks at all aspects of business from the mindset to the sales to the money left over at the end of the month with tips and strategies to help you navigate this amazing ride called entrepreneurship. Thanks for making us part of your journey. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Profit Accelerator Podcast. So we're going to talk about something really different today. We're going to talk about some seasonal business ideas. And I want to talk to somebody who has been in business for 10 years in this business model, who does something really cool and something very different and is following her passion. And that passion has led to some really cool business things. And I'm going to let her tell us all about it. So Julie, thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Why don't you tell everybody who you are and who you serve? Well, my name is Julie Hamilton, and my business is something from the garden, and that's basically what it is. It can be anything from the garden. I started marketing about 20 years ago and decided that I wanted to do it as more of a business rather than just as a hobby. So I started the uh, the business itself and moved it into one of our a pole barn. Originally kind of modeled the store aspect. So there's there's two different aspects to the business. One is the on-the-road market, and the other is my on-farm location. The oris- original business model that I was kind of looking at for the store was what you would think of with like Holmes County, Shipshawana, something along those lines with, you know, Walnut Creek Foods, Troyer, Amish Goods. And it has evolved from there. Right now, it's it's more, I have a little bit of that, but then I also bring in other producers, growers, creators, crafters, people that are local and regional. And that fits a lot more in this area than than just another Amish good store. Right. Well, you are originally a very seasonal kind of thing with the market and going out in spring. So we're almost like a, a three-season concept in the beginning. Is that right? Yeah. Originally, it was um, just the markets. It was just going to market every summer. I never really thought of anything beyond that. And then when I went to the business or when I when I started the business for real in 2012, I opened up the store. And at that point, it was still pretty much a one season, you know, spring to fall type of business. But it seems like every year I have to reinvent it (laughs) because it is so diversified. And it's kind of taking on, I mean, really, when I step back from it, it's almost like two separate businesses now. So I have my market stuff in the summer, and then I kind of evolve into more of a a winter country store. So your passion is in horticulture, right? You have a degree in that. Yes. And so you started because you love to grow things. Yes. And so so kind of from there, this is all kind of taken on a life of its own. 
Yeah, it really has. And I'm not your typical person that goes to market. There's a lot of people that do a fantastic job at growing everything that they take to market, but it's, I'm a one person show and I've got a family and really I found my strength in working with other people. So I tend to be a connection person. So, you know, I I love to grow sunflowers, but it's hard for me because I didn't have the big equipment to do it. Hmm. Uh, So I hooked up with a sunflower farm and then I take their sunflowers to market and combine it with what I grow. I don't grow coffee. So I hook up with some fantastic people down the road for me, you know, that do this wonderful coffee and I take their stuff to market. That would be us for the listening audience. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink, wink. (laughs) But yeah, my strength tends to be who can I bring together to bring a wider girth to market? Come up with like a distributor model that is very, very different because you are actually making not only those connections, but you've created a feeling inside of your booth or inside of your store. Like you went to the um, fairgrounds, to the county fair, and you're there for what, eight days, 10 days? Yes. And you actually, I mean, you take up a huge section and people go there because they know you're going to be there. So you've actually created this feeling inside what it is that you have. And I, and I was there and I've heard people walk up and ask you, do you still have, do you still carry? So your relationships and the way that you have managed to put together this kind of distributor relationship with all of these other small vendors has really impacted the way people view farmer's market or view sellers, smaller sellers, because you're, you're able to bring them to an audience that otherwise they may not be able to reach. That is correct. You know, there are some people that kind of have issues with the fact that I don't grow everything, but I try and be very transparent. And what I have found is that as long as you are honest with people that I don't grow this, I don't make this, I don't, you know, I bring other people to you. Not everybody wants to go to market. You know, I work with a lot of Amish people that they don't want to go to market. They love growing the stuff. That's what their business is, but they don't go to the markets. So that's where I step in and say, hey, I've got a good fit for you. I can bring your stuff to market, set it right next to somebody else's that does something that complements what you do. And when somebody comes to my booth or to my table at the market, they can have a full market experience one table if they need to. Right. And it's a win-win because you are able to bring them items that otherwise, if the Amish or whoever the grower is, isn't bringing this to market, they wouldn't otherwise have a chance to experience. And at the same time, you have the financial benefit of having that wholesale relationship. So it's a win-win both ways. And the customer or the end customer gets to have a product that otherwise they wouldn't even know existed. Exactly. So let me ask you, how many vendors do you work with? Right now, at, at least 20 different vendors. Now, some of that is the flux of the, the market season. Um, so the things that are in my store are not all going to go to market with me. The things that are at market aren't always going to come back to the store. So I try to find things that you know that just fit the location, the sales location that I'm going to go to, whether it's a big venue, whether it's, you know, Flat Rock Creek up in Paulding, whether it's Van Wert County Fair, whether it's Market at the Wasp, it just depends on where I'm going as to what fits that location. 
Right. I mean, this really is kind of a hybrid model. And, and what I want people to, to hear who are listening to this episode is that there's no one right way. You can have brick and mortar setup and you can travel to events and you can have something that is seasonal where you're bringing things that are only in season for a short period of time, but you can bring them to the end user on behalf of someone else. And when you combine all of these things together, you can have something very sustainable and very lucrative and something that is very beneficial and build something around a brand, a feeling, a reputation that allows you to continue to do business for, you know, again, over 10 years now. You mentioned something very interesting, and that was that people got upset you didn't grow things. Why do you think that is? There are different types of farm markets. There are producer-only markets, and then there are markets where you're allowed to sell there as long as you produce a certain percentage. And that's more where I fit into because I don't have the the time, the ability, to the, the strength to grow all the things that I want to bring to market and all the things that people want me to bring to market. But there are producer only markets that, you know, you have to grow at least 90, 95% of what you bring to market. And and there's a, a need for both of those. You know, neither one of them are wrong. It just depends on where you fit in. So I just make sure that wherever I go, I you know, because I'm not going to tell an untruth and say that I grew everything when all they have to do is walk out to my farm and see that I don't. And I'll be happy to be transparent about that. So yeah, you just have to figure out where you fit in and what, what your priorities are. Right. I I don't think I knew before you just said that, that there were producer only markets that people Mm -hmm. who don't grow their own can't, can't go to. I don't think I've ever heard that before. So, I mean, Yep. I learned something. So let me ask you something else. What about some of these places that you've seen where they do like consignment stores or pop-up things? Um, and I've seen a few of those around. What makes your setup so different where you are in an area for a certain period of time, but people can still reach out and get stuff from you even in the off times, correct? Yeah, pretty much so. The, the biggest thing is uh, my store is on my property. So, you know, if I have a few bad months or a few bad weeks, it's not going to hurt me so much as somebody that's renting space and has to bring in so many customers. I mean, that's the biggest thing is the lease can kill you (laughs) in the off season. If you don't have a sustainable market where you've got people walking in your door, you know, and you have to hit certain numbers to be able to pay the rent. For me, I have a much higher customer flow in the summertime, which is logical um, when I have the fresh fruits and the fresh vegetables and all that to go with, you know, the, the garden goods, the, you know, the stuff in the wintertime that is more pantry items, gift related, your coffees and honeys and, and jams, things like that. You know, you're not going to get as, as high of a customer flow in the wintertime, obviously, as you are in the summer. So for me, it works out so much better where I don't have a lease. Uh, you know, this is on my property. Um, so it's really tough for some people. I've seen a lot of places come and go. You know, I hate to say it, but like I said, I've been in, in market business for 20 years and the average of somebody, a pop-up that that starts something is about three years because it's hard to maintain that winter, the winter downtime. Right. What, what do you think the downtime, what are we talking about here? 25% of the business goes, 50% more? Mm, depends on what you're 
summer versus winter product line is. If it's all fresh produce based, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of that in the wintertime. If it is something that people need all year round, I don't know, your coffees, your pantry items, things like that, people are still going to come in. But, you know, if it's cold outside, (laughs) you're not going to see anybody. If there's snow on the ground, there's a reason to stay home. So you've got to give them a reason to come out. Well, and I'll be honest, you have the best maple syrup. (laughs) We go out (laughs) and we get the maple syrup and that is what we use in our house. So um, in case you haven't figured out, listeners, Julie is local to us here in Van Wert County. And uh, I wanted to definitely talk to her, though, because seasonal market-based things, I do sometimes hear starters and people who want to go out and have a product-led experience. And oftentimes, they do want to go into something like a pop-up, or they do want to try to do a, a market or an event-based or festival-based or a seasonal experience. But yeah, I really wanted to talk to somebody who's been doing this for a very long period of time and can tell you these are the things to think about or these are the things to watch out for because you do have to be able to make the sales to support your business. And you know, the other part is that money management. I mean, I'm assuming you probably make greater than 50% of your revenue in those summer and fall and spring months. Correct. Yeah, I think... I think one of the biggest things for me over the years, you can't get pigeonholed into one idea of what you are. You can't get stagnant. You can't let your ideas get stagnant. If you're not willing to change with what is driving your customers, then you're going to see sales dip. Like in a, in a small business like this, I've had to step back from what I'm doing to really look at, okay, what what can drive me in the winter? What can sustain me? You know, so certain parties out at the store, you know, we do painting parties to bring customers in. We, you know, I'm looking at doing some potting classes in the winter time, some wreath making in the, in the winter time, you know, just some different things. So that way, you know, at least a few times during each month, you've got a reason for people to come see you uh, more than just, you know, the occasional thinking about the business type of thing. You really have to continuously reinvent yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, have you seen an increased push over the last couple of years with the kind of the the drive to shop more local and to do more small business buys over the last, let's say, 18 months, two years? Has that increased your foot traffic or your business at all? Yes. At first, it didn't. And I think people were just scrambling to figure out how to cope with everything. But more and more as people are starting to come back out, I tell you, it was a tough year and a half, a real tough year and a half, because a lot of people just didn't want to leave their homes. And I don't have a real young crowd that comes to my place. It's more of the uh, 40 plus crowd. And once you hit that 60 plus, they're not coming out when you've got these kind of situations going on. So just in the last six months, I've started to see an uptick of um, some of my older clientele coming back in. But yeah, there's there's definitely been a higher push towards local, fresh, really trying to support the local people, you know. And and I find myself doing that too. It's like if I have the option of getting something out of town or looking local, I'm I'm much more apt to look local now too. Yeah, I think that's a trend that we can definitely all benefit from. And I think, you know, the small business, the small maker, I think that that is definitely something that's going to continue to happen. 
And I think it's going to continue to benefit us. This model, I mean, it's it's an incredibly flexible model for people who want to get in without having a lot of resources up front to test the market to see if their products will do well. And, you know, I do have another question for you because you do work with these vendors. If somebody had a product that they maybe wanted to stock in your store or have you bring to market for them, how would you suggest somebody new product-led business would want to approach you and talk to you about maybe doing a collaboration? How do you evaluate somebody's sellability in a market? Well, actually, I just had somebody contact me this week. It seems like uh, probably about one or two times a week now, I'm getting new vendors that are contacting me wanting to come out. And I, I just kind of look at the fact my store is geared towards farm and garden products and things that fit that model, not necessarily farm garden, but you know, like the jams and jellies, they're still kind of connected. The coffee, the maple syrup, the honey, kind of gone down different roads that I've backed out of because they just don't fit quite that model. And I've really refocused this year and I don't know, kind of opened up some new doors that I'm happy that I've I've gone through. Basically, when when I talk to them at I just kind of look and see whether they they fit into the model. And and if not, usually they're pretty understanding about it. But uh, I don't want to carry somebody's product that just doesn't fit and then them, them never sell anything. Right. I would rather bring someone in that I, I feel really fits. And, and besides, I give them the first month. It's like, you know, there's a, a percentage off, but I give them the first month. You know, they don't have to pay anything to be there that first month. So it's kind of like, hey, you know, let's see how it fits. and. And if it does, then great, let's bring you in. You know, that's the other thing is making sure you understand your market so that you're able to help guide other vendors. And if they're not a good fit, it sounds like no big deal either way. And and I think that people need to be able to reach out and do those relationships. I'm actually very happy to hear that you are actually getting that many people reaching out to you now. I know for a long time, I have worked with other entrepreneurs that were hesitant to do consignment and wholesale deals that they didn't necessarily know how to go about making those relationships or know about how to kind of structure those kinds of relationships so that it was beneficial to both parties. But you've mastered that, obviously, because you bring all these people to market as kind of that person who's doing, like you said, all the connecting. So Julie, if somebody wanted to find out more about your store, your brand, all the things you carry, because I do know, and I'm just going to drop it here, you do ship. (laughs) People can order (laughs) Yes, I do. If they see something that they like, you do ship places. So where can they find something from the garden online? I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Facebook's the big one for me. And now that those two are linked, I think everything goes right over to Instagram anyway. So yeah, it's at something from the garden. There's a a store site there. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes it works like a computer. But yeah, there's my phone numbers in there. So if anybody ever needs to get a hold of me, they can always call me, text me. So I'm pretty, pretty available. So we're going to put everything down inside the show notes and we will have everything available and linked so that if you want to get in touch with Julie, if you want to get in touch with the store, if you want to take a look at her products and things, or if you want to reach out and find out about, you know, her potting class and stuff, again, she's got a degree in horticulture. She grows beautiful things. Not like me but she, she does. So <laughs> uh, reach out to her and find out more about what it is that she's doing. So Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and talk about this. This is not a model that we see a lot of. Well, thank you very much, Don. It's been a pleasure. So. All right. Yeah. I will talk to you all next time on the next episode of the Profit Accelerator Podcast.
Take care. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Profit Accelerated Podcast. If you want some more information about me or free resources, please visit my updated website, donkkennedy.com. Follow me on social at donkkennedyxo on Instagram and on Facebook at donkkennedymentor. I'll see you next time.